Hello and welcome to the 33rd episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Green, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Dave Latham. Dave, say hello to the people. How's it going, everyone? Have a rip-roar and happy weekend. Exactly. And uh, also joining us today is the other lovely co-host that inhabits this podcast, Chris Strozine. Chris. Hey. Hey. Okay, so we have a good episode for you guys. It's going to consist of an awesome interview with Chris Hatfield, who is the executive editor of Sox Prospect, which is one of the probably the best Red Sox. It's it's the most utilized Red Sox site other than my other than Red Sox and that I use on a regular basis because it is just has a reservoir of important information and especially in terms of prospects. So it's a really good interview. Definitely stick around for that. He was, he was, gave us a ton of good information. So we'll get to that after we go over the news that happened. And since it was winter meetings and uh, we haven't spoke since about a week and a half, there's a lot, a good amount to talk about here. So let's just get right into that. And let's start with, uh, mean Joe Kelly, Fight Club, will not be in Boston any longer. He signed a three-year, $25 million deal, probably about $8.5 million. No, $8.25 million? $8.33 million, right, per year? Is that what? Is that my, my math correct? I think so. Yeah. A little yeah, over yeah. eight. A little over eight, whatever it is. So Joe Kelly goes to the Los Angeles Dodgers, who were defeated by the Boston Red Sox in the 2018 World Series. And yeah, I think our reactions were pretty this pretty similar. We kind of, at least for me, I kind of for I, for it was I didn't necessarily think the Red Sox weren't going to bring him back, but for that price that he ended up getting, I definitely understand why the Red Sox were not in pursuit of him. Uh, Dave, what were what were your thoughts on this signing and what it means for the Red Sox bullpen in 2019? Yeah. I am very happy Joe Kelly got paid. I am very happy we did not pay Joe Kelly. These are two things that just like are so true because you know Joe Kelly, he was huge in winning that World Series. Um, he and he, everybody loves him after the Austin Maddox fight. But he's a very streaky player. The good Joe Kelly is unhittable. The bad Joe Kelly is a train wreck. And I don't think the Angel, uh, the Dodgers, excuse me, the Dodgers are paying for jo- good Joe Kelly to be there year round, and I don't think that's going to happen. I think, you know, he's going to be really great half the year, really bad half, really bad half. There's value in that, but not at $8 million a year, not for three years when the guy just turned 30. So, Joe, I wish you nothing but the best in Los Angeles. Yeah, I I think we, I think every Red Sox fan wishes Joe Kelly well. Uh, Chris, I, I, I surmise that you definitely agree that you're wishing Joe Kelly well, maybe? Yes. To be, to be honest, like pitcher Joe Kelly is kind of infuriating to watch um, because it, it's almost like he just doesn't trust himself on the mound. But like, I'm good with Joe Kelly as like a dude. He seems pretty cool. I, I've never talked yeah. to him. If he wants, to he talk was on to that Section Ten podcast. Yeah, that he was, was on the thing. Section Ten podcast. That was kind of yeah. He, he he sounded like a really cool dude. Yeah, he's a maniac. Oh yeah, he yeah. Sounds, he sounds what like a cool a dude. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But did you know he yeah. had he had kind of a, we- a super weird year, like super weird. Oh my gosh! It was like replaced so year with career and absolutely. Like if you just go month by month, <laughs> yeah, right. It, but if you go month by month with ERA, it was like April three point oh nine, May zero point six three, 
June 8.31, July 8.38, August 1.42, and September, October 8.31. And then he had the postseason. Yeah. But like, that is the Joe Kelly experience right? to it a is. nutshell. Right? Like, 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 you know, great, good Joe Kelly, that's like a borderline, you know, oh, that's a borderline elite closer. Bad Joe Kelly is terrible, one of the worst in the league. And part yeah. of the deal with Joe is you get both guys and you really never know when, like, you know, the good one's going to be there, when the bad one's going to be there. There there was a point where it, glorifying him as the best reliever in the Red Sox bullpen. And then, as Chris mentioned, the spike in ERA that happened in the middle of summer. And people were clamoring for him to be optioned to AAA or designate for assignment. And then Joe Kelly somehow makes the postseason roster to most people's chagrin. And then he pitches like the best reliever in baseball in the most important moments. And he cashes in on a really nice deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So uh, Joe Kelly definitely pitched what it mattered the most. And uh, I'm happy for Joe Kelly because he seems like a cool dude. Don't know him, but... Yeah, I'm glad the Red Sox stayed away because they have some financial commitments coming up that they're going to have to... And we, we, we make this as a caveat with most free agent guys that they're not going to be able to sign. We said this with Craig Kimbrell probably at least 10 times um, in our off-season coverage and even before that looming. Um, so, yeah, Joe Kelly, three years, $25 million, definitely out of the Red Sox price range, I, I would suppose. I, I would surmise, especially because it, like someone with his inconsistency, you, you're not getting a, a lockdown bonafide reliever. You're getting the Joe Kelly experience, and that's not maybe worth $8.5 million, $8-ish million for a team that is, is going to be conservative with the rest of their free agent approach after the $67, $68 million over four years that they just gave to Nathan Voldy. So, along a similar breath, Ian Kinsler, the, uh, one of the other Red Sox free agents uh, from their major league team, uh, he's departed. This happened. I, this this news came out today, and he signed a two-year, eight million dollar deal with the San Diego Padres. Um, yeah, I I don't have much thoughts. I, I Dave Dombrowski said at the winter meetings he likes Kinsler, but he's not someone we're currently pursuing. Red Sox have. Pretty good options at second base with Pedroia. Oh gosh, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to guarantee that. With Pedroia potentially, um, you know, coming back, and then Eduardo Nunez, Brock Holt. Uh, they have some interesting infielders in AAA. If uh, Chavez Chavis makes the switch, um, so yeah, Kinsler, Kinsler was probably never even going to be in the conversation to come back. I this was more than expected. Uh, Dave, what were your thoughts on this? That's two years and $8 million more than I would have given him. Uh, Kinsler, I mean, maybe he really just had two, the two worst months of his career and they were he a did. total fluke. And he maybe did. it was a total fluke. Maybe, like, Ian Kinsler's going to go back to being, you know, not great because he's 500 years old, but, you know, a decent enough third ba- uh, second baseman, and this is what he's worth nowadays. But, my God, did I not see it while he was with us. He just looked he looked old and worn down and you know good for you Ian Kinsler for getting some money. Um you got a World Series ring that's probably going to be worth something on eBay. So you know, I'm I'm proud of you Ian Kinsler, but there's we have a lot better options. Brock Holt, I mean honestly, Eduardo Núñez is going to actually be on two knees and have a healthy body entering 2019, so that's great. Pedroia maybe who knows. Uh Ch- Chavis, I'd give it a shot at second. Um, 
I don't know, a Dustin Pedroia fathead, that could probably do the job, too. So, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, we have, our, I'm glad we stayed away from Kinsler. Or Blake Swihart. Don't forget I, about Blake hey, Swihart. Hey, why, why not? Yeah, it's solving the three-headed you know monster. Sandy Leone, you know, just throw him out there. Yeah, I was actually going to say that at first, but yeah. Yeah, Sandy Leon would do an excellent job as a second baseman. What, does, he, does, he, does he throw uh, left-handed or right-handed? Right. Sandy, he's a righty. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, but Kinsler, Kinsler, in my mind, had a really bad stint with the Red Sox, and I don't think it was reflective of what he currently is valued as a player. Um, I still think he's around a two-win player, which is above average, close to average. Brings great defense, slightly below average um, offensive capabilities with a little bit more ceiling. I know he's old, he's in decline, he's not what he used to be, but Two years, eight million. Honestly, for the Padres, that's a steal. They have so much money anyway. Um, can kind of, you know, build that infield with uh, Galvis and Tatis Jr., who's coming up soon. Uh, so Kinsler, I think that was a pretty good deal for the Padres. And I think the Red Sox fans who, who are kind of mean to Kinsler based off a two-month sample, three-month sample, I think you should be happy for the guy. I really do. I, uh, think I have better. no problem with Ian Kinsler, the human being, getting the yeah, money. Yeah, I just the don't understand why anyone would want to invest in Ian Kinsler, the player. If we if we use the... He's not, 38, Pat. He's 38. Don't give me numbers from when he was younger. He's, <laughs> actually, he's actually 36 in 175 days. Look, younger than we thought, right? So there's he can go until he's at least 38 when this contract's up. If he's a two-win player, and we assume that a win is worth seven, eight million dollars in the market, which Fangraphs figures kind of say they are, I don't know how accurate. There's some um, debate on the legitimacy of that. Then he's worth like ten, fourteen million dollars a year, and he's only getting four million dollars a year. So, give me Ian Kinsler. And I'm not a slave to war, but I, I, that was just as a barometer to show you that Kinsler has value. Anyway, getting away from the Ian Kinsler conversation. Craig Kimbrell reportedly wants to be the first $100 million closer. That's what his agent said. That's what he probably said to his agent. I don't know. But the Red Sox at the winter meetings and Dave Dabrowski explicitly kind of laid out that a reunion, he didn't directly say it, but it was very clear from what he did say that Craig Kimbrell probably will not be a Red Sox in 2019. They're not currently exploring those high-end free agent closer like Craig Kimbrell. So, yeah, especially at a price tag of $100 million, um, do you think, do you guys have any sense for where Craig Kimbrell will end up, Dave? Where he will end up, I honestly don't know because he's sort of, uh, he's basically holding up the entire relief market. And I really got to wonder if some of these teams with deeper, parket, deeper pockets and like nothing to spend on might just say, you know, I'm not waiting you out. I'm going to get the next best thing for half the price of what you're asking for. I mean, it's really going to be, I'm afraid this is going to be the J.D. Martinez stalemate of uh, 2018 all over again. I don't think a reliever has as much leverage as a guy like J.D. Martinez did, but at the same point, it's like, I can't imagine anyone coming anywhere close to $100 for a closer on the wrong side of 30. It's it's going to be one of the interesting things to watch. All I know is it's not going to be in Boston. I'm thinking Braves or Cardinals. That's where I see him going. Thinking a reunion? I'm thinking of reunion. Brian McCann's back there now. He's ready to, to receive Craig Kimbrell. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, but the the real interesting thing takeaway that I had from the winter meetings 
And I don't know if there's substance to it. Dave Dombrowski was quickly to diffuse the spiraling of, of rumors that subsequently ensued. But there were speculations that the Red Sox were willing to trade to clear money, um, potentially for a reliever. And the guys that they said they were willing to trade, uh, or the, the rumblings, or whoever made this up said they were willing to trade, uh, were Rick Porcello, or Jackie Bradley Jr., and Xander Bogarts. Those are some big names who have, obviously, a lot of value, respectively. Um, I don't know what to make of the veracity of, of these rumors, because Dave Dombrowski, again, quickly, quickly tried to refute them. But there were executives saying that they were willing to deal these three opposing executives. So, Dave, first of all, what do you think about these these rumors? And if you had to unload, did you think that it would be in the Red Sox' best interest to unload some of these guys? Um, I absolutely do not think that's a good idea to trade any one of them. I mean, Porcello and Jackie, I can see the arguments for. Porcello's in the last year of his deal. He's got $20 million. Uh, coming to him, and we we essentially chose to pay Nathan Avaldi a second, a first time instead of paying Rick Porcello a second, which is a decision I agree with. So if we wanted to get something out of a guy that we know not isn't going to be back in 2020, like I could see it, but at the same time, this is like the last year where money really isn't that much of an issue. I don't understand the argument for trading any of those guys, making the team worse in the short term when this team. You know, its best shot is going to be, in, it's going to have a significantly better chance of winning it in 2019 than 2020. Why would you ruin your chances at 2019? I, it doesn't make any sense to me. And if you trade Xander Bogarts, I don't care what you got in return. It's a bad trade. I, I, I would have to concur with those sentiments. And also, I think Pete Abraham tweeted something to the effect of, it would be asinine. It might not have been Pete Abraham. I think it was Pete Abraham, but don't quote me on that. Um he said something like, it would be asinine if the Red Sox traded one of those guys, you know, starting pitcher, center fielder, shortstop, very valuable positions, mind you, to clear up room this year to get a reliever, which is the most fungible position there is on the baseball diamond. So I don't see if, I don't see why the Red Sox would trade any of them. I get that Purcell and Bogey are free agents in 2019, JBJ in 2020, but it would obviously be it would obviously be geared towards clearing cap now, not for later, because they're going to be off the books anyway, or if they're going to have to be resigned, and maybe you can get some first round talent for Bogarts or Purcello or JBJ first round esque talent from current prospects, but I don't think with a team like the Red Sox who are kind of on the brink of having to make really hard decisions. And they're probably not going to be full strength going forward. They have to maximize this window. They, I mean, they won the World Series in 2018, so they're already a success. But they got to keep maximizing this window, and yeah. it doesn't make sense to I trade. Mean, I mean, like, I could see them trading uh, JBJ, and not really. Oh, don't do this to me. Screwing Chris. anything up? No, no. I'm just like, yeah, no, no. no. I, I'm only going to say like a real quick thing on it because I know Pat will probably jump through the their microphone. And, <laughs> wrangle me to death or, or require me to pay him the however much money it was for the jersey he bought. Uh, I know, yeah. But, uh, 90 now, bucks. Of, of all the guys I, I, that you mentioned, the guy that makes the most sense is JBJ because he's going to get more expensive through the arbitration system. And at some point, you have to think to yourself, well, is this worth it? 
And is it replaceable? Or can you tolerate replaceable defense? Which is, you know, depends on the team's philosophy. Um, and I don't think that they're going to trade any of them. I think it was more kind of like when you pass everybody through waivers in um, in August. I think, I think it's more kind of centered like that. And it is actually like, yeah, we're going to do this right now. And on top of the fact that I just don't see them spending a lot on a reliever because that really hasn't been their M.O. since they acquired Craig Kimbrell. They kind of stopped. Actually, it was more like Tyler Thornburg. They kind of stopped paying high prices for relievers, I think. They learned their lesson. I think I think Tyler Thornburg killed them. I think, I think that's what happened. Yeah, or Carson Smith. Carson Smith was before Tyler Thornburg. Now. Yeah, but Carson, Carson Smith, though, that was... Yeah. It was gave Wade up, Miley. It was, it was literally nothing. We gave up nothing. nothing to get Carson yeah. Smith. I, was, I do that every single day yeah. just for the upside of it. No, it was, it was nothing for nothing is what that was. What that turned into, so... Didn't we give up... Um, Wait, my Jonathan, Jonathan Aro, I think, got DFA'd like 17 different times by every organization in the league. Okay, then yeah, Red Sox, I guess, kind of came out of watch that trade. I, yeah, I we, we I gave up know. nothing for the potential of something that turned into nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it was a lot of nothing happening. Nothing. It was a whole yeah. bunch of nothing. There, you know? Yeah, we probably... So, because Wade Miley probably made more than Carson Smith and uh, Roanis Elias did. Oh, I yeah, forgot, I forgot about that guy. Oh, I hate my, that guy's. My... I hate that guy's name. Hey, that's that's my number five starter of the future. <laughs> Roanis Elias. I bought into the hype. You bought into I, the hype? No, yeah, Dave. I I rode that hype train hard. He, well, when he, he when he, he got when up, when he became a reliever, right? Didn't he get trans? Didn't he get transformed? Yeah, he reliever? was in the bullpen for a little while hey. there. And he did awesome, and I feel like in Seattle he kind of carved out a decent end of the season in the with the major league team. Could be wrong, but I feel like that's a thing. Not to digest Ronis Elias any further than we have to, but yeah, this is uh, the reliever market is where the Red Sox are going to be focused. I think Craig Kimbrough, like you guys said, I think I think he's holding up the market because I thought so too. I, I don't think I, I, I don't think anybody else signs till he does. No, um, I thought so, too. I thought so, too. But then Dave Dombrowski said something, like, literally right before I went to bed. It was, like, 8 p.m. He's like, oh, I don't know when this reliever market's going to get going. Like, no one's getting signed. It's tough. He said something to that effect. And then I wake up at, like, midnight because I wake up multiple times throughout the night. And I look at my phone, and it said, Joe Kelly signs three million, three-year, $25 million deal. I was like, oh, crap. And then I see that right under it, Familia signs three-year, $30 million deal. And I was be. like, those are some pretty big That's guys. That's true, too. I kind of... Blank yeah. that they, they actually, I don't know why I blanked at this time because I talked about it like five seconds ago. Uh, but um, I think it, it, it could have been multiple factors. Like Craig Kimbrell's kind of in his own land. And, he's in his own and sphere. He, he's, yeah. he, he must live in Massachusetts, man. He's gone to those, uh, those new shops. I, I think he's smoking a little something, um, <laughs> thinking that he's going to get $100 million because people are viewing the closer role a little differently nowadays. So. I, I don't. See I, don't I don't think. I just don't think. I really if don't went, think someone could go get more than up. one inning. I think it would be more if realistic. He was, if he was more versatile, like the he, dude, they just, tried it a little bit. They tried it a little bit with him. Yeah, but he year. he doesn't like doing. Yeah, it, he like he like no. He like openly was against it at one point, right? Yeah, Didn't he, he say something. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And it's like in today's day and age, there's a lot of value in a reliever being able to go multiple innings. Oh, there totally is. Which is why Travis Lakins get a like 
get on that hype train right now. Travis Lincoln's uh, 2019 superstar. Not superstar, but very good star. Travis Lincoln's <laughs> su- very superstar good. reliever. No, JBJ, not superstar. No, no, not superstar. Very, very good. Star. Very, very good. Probably, in 2019, it's probably going to be a decently enjoyable star. But it's going to uh, be really good. So 2020, like, not, get hyped. Not okay. to rehash any bitterness you might have, Dave, but... Here we go. Ty Boutre, closer of the year for the American oh, League. That's my prediction. Me. Don't do this to me. <laughs> That's my prediction. Uh, yeah, do not talk I... about... Do not say Ty Boutre to me. Like, if we do, we're going to... Chris, I'm going to need you to edit in, like, that sad violin noise, like, you know, maybe some <laughs> funeral do. procession music. Do you want something the sad to, trombone? Yeah, or, like, something to reflect the inner machination of my, like, disappointment in that Kinsler trade. I didn't like it when it happened, and I hate it now. Uh, I, I feel like that's the root of your Ian Kinsler uh, distaste. Well, it's part of it. It's I, part I, of it. I still don't know how he it's even part, got like, the, four million dollars. Like, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of the Kinsler stuff. Okay, Kinsler, first off, it's the it's the buttery stuff. Second off, it's like he was significantly worse than Holt for the entire season. Yet we refused to play Holt instead. And third, he, and he made, made me stay, stay up, up till three thirty <laughs> in the morning on <laughs> four. Because he couldn't feel the ground. It was over ball, in the twelfth. Right? <laughs> uh, and then Ian he got Kinsler. Yeah. And then he got caught stealing too, dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he should have. Or like, got caught on a home plate. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, game uh, game three, I think it was. Three. He was pinch running, and he basically did the same thing, except uh, who was it? I think Machado or somebody who maybe it was the third baseman. I can't remember. Somebody just muffed the play and Kinsler should have been out, but he wasn't. Yeah. And then he went home and he was out by a mile on like, yeah. a, what was a ground ball to the shortstop? I don't remember. Something it was a ground like ball. That. Yeah. And, and, and indirectly, he almost got Eduardo Nunez killed because he, Nunez went through all seven levels of hell in that game. And it would have yeah. been over if Kinsler just fields the ball. Oh my God. I hate that trade. <laughs> oh, well, sorry it, it has to be better. Down. It has to be better than Dave Roberts rolling Ryan Madsen out every single time and watching the dude give up, like, all the runs. I I think Dave Roberts, his heart still belongs to Boston. He was like, you know what, this guy, he pooped his pants, we're going to send him out again. He'll poop his pants again, and it'll look like I'm actually doing what I'm supposed to be doing because he's supposed to be good, and we're good to go. That's what it was. And without fail, he pooped his pants every time. Yep. Elegantly, yep. poetically, beautifully. We yeah. win the World Series anyway, but we don't win it in five if Ryan Madsen's not a part of the game. Yep. Ryan Madsen was the real MVP from that World Series. Yeah, Steve not Pierce, Steve give Pierce. it back. Give it back. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's going to do it for before this interview segment of the podcast. Dave, you got any departing thoughts for the listeners? Um, just... Uh, uh, you know, give Ty, uh, follow Ty Buttry on Twitter. Uh, become an Angels fan. <laughs> just you know, show the guy some love. You just become, think of if, what could have been. If anybody becomes an Angels fan, I feel bad for them because that is like that's a woeful existence right now. Until hey, they got Trout. Otani. They're completely yeah. wasting. They're completely wasting Mike Trout. They've got Trout, Otani, and Buttry. There's they have, a chance they, that those three can single-handedly power them to a wild card spot while they, they were yeah. getting killed by the other wild card. But they have a half functional Shohei Otani right now until twenty twenty. Yeah, there true. is that. Yeah. But what about you, Chris? Anything before we get to this interview? I have nothing. Okay. I left it uh, all on again, the table. That that's okay. So we got Chris Hatfield coming up. Enjoy the interview guys.
Hello, uh, we are joined with Chris Hatfield of the executive editor of Sox Prospect. Chris, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, hey, it's a pleasure to come on, fellas, on a lovely Friday evening here in, in Washington, D.C. Yeah, yeah, uh, we just got done with the winter meetings and hmm. the Rule 5 draft took place. So yep. Chris is the ideal guest because he knows the system inside and out. <laughs> and we're going to be we're going to be exploring that. We're going to get some peripheral information from him um, to start. Chris, I wanted to kind of get more of a sense of how you got started with Sox Prospect and what your what your role is with them. Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I, and, you know, I found recently that a lot of people can relate to this. I discovered Sox Prospects back in like 2006 or five. Um, and the way I found it is I don't know if you guys guys are familiar with MVP baseball. Um, oh yeah. Oh GameCube. yeah. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> and so they had minor league teams, but because minor league players who haven't played in the majors aren't part of the union, minor league players weren't part of the game. And that was before like MLB, the show, some psychopath will like actually make all the minor leaguers and you could download it back then you know you could just edit your own players and so i was googling around because i wanted to edit at least the names of the red Sox minor leaguers and i discovered Sox prospects and i was like holy crap and it was basically done by this guy mike andrews who should not be confused with mike andrews the former red Sox second baseman who is like the president of the jimmy fund different different um yes and so I emailed him just to be like, wow, what a great site you've got. And for some weird reason, I signed my email, Chris Hatfield, Salem, New Hampshire, which is where I'm from. It turns out Mike grew up like a mile up the road from me. Um, wow. Which we only found out at that point, at least, because I signed my email with my hometown for, again, reasons that I still don't understand. Um Fast forward a little bit. I'm trying to get into sports journalism. I had interned for a couple of summers at a winter at the Eagle Tribune out of North Andover, Massachusetts. Um, and meanwhile, right around the same time, Sox Prospects added a news page. And, you know, I had started contributing in our forum, which is forum.soxprospects.com. If anybody wants to join a, you know, message board to talk prospects. And, um, you know, had become a moderator. I was like, Hey, you know, I'm starting to, you know, I'm a journalism student. I'd love to kind of, you know, get some, get some pieces up on your, on the news page. I think this could actually work out well. So I started writing for the site, eventually kind of worked my way up. I, I eventually got out of the sports journalism thing because I graduated from college right around when newspapers started hemorrhaging money because they didn't know how to use the internet, which they still, <laughs> still a problem, still kind of an issue because yeah. they're making, you know, internet pennies from print dollars is kind of the saying in the, in the industry and um, wound up going in a different direction, you know, going to law school. But, you know, I just kind of worked my way up to the point where right before I went to law school, I joined ownership of Sox Prospects. So now I'm an editor. I don't, you know, I don't do a whole lot of writing these days just because I don't have the time, but I'll edit, you know, go to games to scout. And uh, I host our podcast as well, which, you know, if people are listening to your podcast, I'm sure they can figure out how to find ours. It's a Sox Prospects podcast. Um, when you're done listening, listen to the show. Go check us out if you've got time, if you've got another commute to listen to a podcast on. Um, but that's kind of how I started with it. It's a great gig. I've been doing it for over 10 years now, and it's just it's fun to 
you know, we, we only cover the Red Sox farm system. You know, we cover it top to, top to bottom. Like you said, we've got a news page. We've got scouting reports on almost every player in the system, at least that have played in the United States. So, you know, these guys who have just been in the DS, the Dominican Summer League, we, we don't know anything about them, really. So we don't really try to do a scouting report on them. But if they've played in the States, you know, we go to spring training. We go to the Fall Instructional League to try and get guys... Um, you know, our, our director of scouting, Ian Cundall, is in New England, so he'll catch guys up there. And actually being down in D.C., um, the Greenville Drive, the low-A team, and the Salem Red Sox, the high-A team, both play road games relatively close to me. Um, so I'll try and get out to see them. It's usually a little bit, little bit easier to see Salem. They play closer than um, the, the low-A affiliate that Greenville plays at. They don't even play them every year, and it's actually kind of a far drive, and the stadium's a little bit of a dump. But... Um, yeah, so, you know, we try to be the the authority on the Red Sox farm system, and if I do say so, I think I'd put our coverage of the Red Sox system at least up against any of the national affiliates, uh, you know, your, um, you know, BA, you know, Baseball Americas, Baseball Prospectus, Fangraphs, um, those guys obviously have 30 teams to cover, which is why it would make sense, but, um, you know, we think we, we think we know what we're doing at this point. Oh, you guys certainly do. Like, let me let me tell you, you your site has been invaluable to, to the – Everything Red Sox and Filter does with prospects, coverages, and, and when we're trying to like go in depth with analysis with their, certain prospects, like we use your site all the time as a reference tool. You guys, you guys know how to cover prospects, and, and you do it right. So thank you from the bottom of our heart for continuing <laughs> to do this. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. Uh, over the off season, I've been writing up a bunch of prospect reports on guys I've found interesting. Going mm-hmm. basically. I'm going to try to go more or less top to bottom by the end, and my goal is to make the second best Red Sox prospect thing out there. Because <laughs> frankly, you guys got me beat. I can't match no, what no. you guys are doing. Well, there's there's a certain amount of institutional memory you get, right? Because it's like when you see, you know, because if you think about it, honestly, it's been pretty easy to cover the Red Sox farm system because really the only major change they had was when Dave Dombrowski came in. Um, if you look at what I like to call the the Epsterrington era, because really when Ben Charrington took over for Theo Epstein, nothing changed. He was basically Theo 2.0. I, I mean, it was the same guys in the front office. Um, they lost a bunch of guys to Arizona. Well, they had one kind of exodus with Theo. He took, um, I think it was Jason McLeod with him, and he took um, one other guy who I can't think of. Oh, Jed Hoyer went with him, I think. Um, but then like Charrington took over here and he still had, you know, Hayes, Mike Hazen was still here. Emil Sade was still here. Um, Jared Porter was still here. And then when Charrington got fired and, and Dombrowski came in, he, he didn't fire anybody. You know, a year later, Mike Hazen left with Emil and, 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 um, and Porter. But other than that, I mean, Ben Crockett's still in charge of the farm system, um, Eddie Romero is still the main international guy, though. I mean, he's going to be a GM sooner than later. Um, you know, so they've had a lot of the same guys. So you kind of get a feel for the, how when they promote guys, when you what you can read into when they like guys and when they don't like guys. Um, you know, usage patterns that can say, okay, this guy's they don't think much of this guy, or they do think much of this guy, even though the numbers aren't there. So you know, when you do, it's it's just a matter of you know repetition seeing guys year in and year out so it's it's fun um and you know we we just pick those things up over time so you know if you write up the system top to bottom for 12 years you kind of figure stuff out like we do i think it's that that's a big piece of it 
Yeah, uh, for sure. You Again, you guys do an awesome job. Um, my second question in terms of how you guys operate, do mm-hmm. you have a methodology to your rankings? Obviously, uh, Sox <laughs> Prospects has their top, yeah. what is it, 1 to 60 list? Of 60, the top? which is yeah. stupid. We really shouldn't. <laughs> Because no, I, I, I enjoy I'm, it. I enjoy it. I'm half kidding, but I'm half serious when I say that. Because honestly, when you look at, like, we'll have posters on our forum who are like, you know, why is this guy ranked 52 instead of 45? And I, my response is usually like, I mean, probably just how we felt that day. Um, because when you get that low, you know, especially in times like right now, the system's kind of down, like it's been down for a couple years now, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think is, is any secret because of the combination of guys graduating. When you look at all the homegrown players in the lineup right now in Boston that contributed to this World Series win, when you look at the number of guys that Dombrowski has traded, um, you could make a top 20 prospect list at one point of the guys he had traded from the system. Uh, <laughs> no lie. And I, I almost wrote that article. I just didn't have time. Um, but like I, I, there's, there was a draft of it kicking around my desk office recently, like a couple weeks before I was like, okay, this thing's over a year old. Like I need to get rid of it. Um, but between those two, and they had a couple of really bad drafts, honestly, that, that kind of created a bubble in the system. Um, so the system was a little bit down for a while and it's just kind of like, it got really hard to just kind of like, why are we ranking this guy in the top 60 versus this guy? And it's like, you know what? Screw it. Like, why not? Let's just do it. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of silly, but um, the methodology, getting back to your actual question, um, it's kind of funny because recently, like, we got accused of, like, oh, you guys like upside now more than you used to. You know, you, like, justified before that, like, Devin Marrero was ranked ahead of, like, this other guy because he had a higher floor. And now, like, you're ranking Anthony Flores ahead of C.J. Chatham based on his upside. And I don't think that's really it. Um, you know, what I would direct people to is, you know, we have our rankings, but really more important to me, we also have a, a, a scouting scale that we rate guys based on. And we, we use three numbers. Um, so, for example, if you look at our rankings right now, we have Michael Chavis ranked as the number one prospect in the system. And if you look all the way to the right on our website, there's a scale, and we have him ranked as a five. And this is using the 2080 scouting scale, which yeah. I won't get too deep into. If you don't know what that is, Google it. Um, there's plenty out there. Kylie McDaniel at Fangraphs actually wrote a really great uh, primer on how the 2080 scouting scale works. But um, on our about page, we have a, a, a short explainer of it. But um, we have him graded out as a five, meaning we project him to be like a roll 50 player. Uh, and and the, the scale then, we have a floor and a ceiling of a four floor and a six ceiling. And we have that for every guy in the top 20. Um, just because doing it for the top 60 would just be silly. I mean, you know, then player number 60 would be like a three, you know, or three, 3.5, you know, two floor, four ceiling or something maybe. You know, it just gets kind of silly at that point. Yeah. We'd be guessing. Um, but that's really kind of more important. And really it's just kind of taking a full package of your projection of the player, his potential upside, you know, the risk in the player, um, so, for example, like with a guy like Jay Groom, um, we've got him ranked number three right now. But slotting him in against, you know, as a guy who has now basically missed two seasons due to injury and is going to miss most of a third next year, but upside-wise, might be the top prospect in the system. So how on earth do you grade that against, say, a Tristan Casas, who was the first-round pick this year and has played two regular season games because he broke his thumb in the second game? 
I don't it's know. Difficult. Um, yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's <laughs> tough. And then side, side note: Do you know of any sort of like ancient hex that might have hit the Red Sox farm system? Because those prospects oh. are like dying like fleas. Mid season. Like... Mid season. I, I I should find the tweet and send it to you. Of the top twenty, <laughs> I think two guys were having good seasons, and the rest were either having really bad seasons, were hurt, or were suspended. Um, no joke. I, I, I was like thinking about that mid season because, you know, you had these, this great rotation in Salem where nobody could find the plate. Like the, the three pitchers from the Salem Red Sox were the top three in walks in the Carolina league this year. And they're all ranked in our top 10 in the system, which is just a weird thing. Um, <laughs> Shavis was suspended for, uh, PEDs groom wound up getting Tommy John. And then in the draft this year, like Tristan Casas and Nick Decker, the first two round picks combined for four regular season games because of injuries. It was just a, you know, oh, and then like the top international guys both got hurt too. Um, and Anthony Flores and Danny Diaz. Yeah, it was, a, it was a weird season. Um, but honestly, you know, we don't favor upside over floor. It's just trying to take all those things together. You know, part of it's kind of thinking of it as, you know, who, what would hurt more if they traded this guy versus this guy? Or, you know, who would I want more if I were trading for them? You know, that kind of plays into it a little bit. But there's three of us uh, who constitute what we like to refer to as the brass. That's Mike Andrews, who's the editor-in-chief, and Ian Cundell, who's our director of scouting, and myself. Um, we do the rankings. Like, the three of us do our top 70, which is hard. It's real hard. Yeah. Um, and then we just kind of hash it out. We average it and we hash it out, and sometimes guys move. Sometimes we have late-breaking information that causes guys to move a little bit. And, um, you know, for like three days a month, we hate each other. And, uh, <laughs> and we post the rankings, we get over it, and we move on. Um, yeah. But that's kind of how it works. We do monthly rankings now. We Back in the day, we used to update weekly, and we kind of realized that, like, it just didn't make any sense. It's like, okay, so you're going to move this guy based on him having a great few weeks, but, like... There's nothing scientific to that, you know? It's just kind of like a gut feel thing, and we're trying to remove... There's always going to be a certain amount of gut feel, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so how much do you weigh analytics versus the eye test, or do you guys kind of combine them both? You kind of have to, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we do, and it's just tough because sometimes, you know, Greenville-Salem, especially before I came down here to D.C., and a lot of it depends on schedule because because of my job, I can only really see guys on the weekend. Um, yeah. I'm not in a position to say, like, yo, I'm going to... Peace out at two today, so I can get to the park in time to see Bobby Dahlbeck. <laughs> like, it's just not really something I can do at this point in my career. Um, so Greenville Salem can sometimes turn into a black hole. You know, we don't see guys in the Gulf Coast League, we don't see guys in the DSL, um, um, except for spring training and and the fall instructional league. And sometimes you just don't walk out. Like we were in spring training for five days this past spring, and like Brian Mata didn't throw, and we we're just kind of like, he well, now what? <laughs> Yeah, so what do we do now? Like, we didn't see him last year, and we didn't see him in the spring. Luckily, I saw him twice in Salem this year, because they, they played Potomac at times I could go. But, um, yeah, sometimes it just turns into, you know, having to go a little bit off of stats. And we also we also talk to scouts who we've developed relationships with, um, so that's that's a big boost. Um, I actually found out today that a friend of mine who's a scout got the Red Sox system for this coming year, top to bottom, so I'm pretty pumped about that. But um, Oh, wow. So we compare notes with scouts as well. Um, you know, funny story, like one of the trades that the Red Sox made back in the day for um, Salty, I think, actually, maybe. But whatever trade the Red Sox traded Roman Mendez to the Rangers, like, you know, 
the Rangers scout who had the Red Sox only saw Roman Mendez because Chris Mellon, who was our, was our director of scouting at one point, had told this guy, make sure you see Roman Mendez while you're in Lowell. So that was kind of neat. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just balancing everything, really. You know, you don't want to ignore analytics, but you don't want to ignore, like, no, but this guy's tooled up and, you know, the, the hits just aren't falling for him. You know, he'll come around. Or, you know, Bobby Dahlbeck is a guy you have to see in person to appreciate because when you look at his numbers, it's like, what the heck? You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. Ball and it's gone, but he also strikes out three times a game. So, you know, <laughs> you have to see guys in person to really be able to do this with any yeah. kind of, of knowledge. So it's, it's a combination. Yeah, with Dahlbeck, actually, I used to live um, right, basically right across the street from where uh, the Sea Dogs used to play. It's like there's Hadlock, there's 295, and then my apartment was on the street right after that. And when Dahlbeck first got called up, the first game he was up, he had two home runs. And, like, I swear to God, he couldn't have missed my house by much because really? he just... Yeah, he, I mean, he had to hit it over a highway, which obviously you can't do. But, my God, I've never seen a guy in double A <laughs> hit the ball as hard as he hit it. And, oh, like, yeah, I would... I was there for Benintendi, Mankata, Devers, like that whole run, and I've never seen anyone hit a ball as hard as Dahlbeck did that day. Yeah, Devers and Dahlbeck are probably the top two guys I've seen in terms of raw pop. Um, Devers, I just had this weird luck with in the minors. I think I saw him play. If I saw him play six games, I think he hit seven home runs just by chance in the games I saw him. Um <laughs> But then, like, Dahlbeck this past year, I caught him in Potomac. I, they had, like, a weird five-game series in Potomac that was, like, also during the July 4th holiday. So I got to see, like, four of the five games or something silly. And um, I think in those four games, I saw him hit three home runs. Like, he was just... And he hit a home run in the game I wasn't at. Like, he was just absolutely on fire. Um, and he probably struck he out every time he didn't hit a home run. <laughs> Well, he, he would, yeah, either that or like that's the Bobby Dalbeck experience. Yeah, or in the at bat, he hit the home run. He swung and missed wildly at a breaking pitch earlier in the at bat. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's part of seeing him live, right? Because it's like you don't catch that in the box score. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I actually funny story. I had the exact opposite experience with uh, Chafis when he was in Portland. Um, you know, he had the big breakout year in 17, and I didn't go see every game, but I saw a decent amount in 17, and yep. he was exclusively bad when I was there. Like, I saw <laughs> I saw major holes in his swing, and I'm like, you know, yeah. like, I get it. Like, I saw that, you know, when he made contact, it didn't sound, not to sound cliche, but it didn't sound like a minor league bad. It sounded like a major leaguer, but he was just like, the, the glove looked terrible. He made a few errors when I saw him. He had big holes in his swing. He struck out a lot, and I'm like... Mm -hmm look, this is the one that we're saying, like, it's okay, we still have him. And I'm like, seriously, are you kidding me? Yeah, and then in yeah. 2018, when he comes back from the suspension, I only saw him once. It, it, in that game, he went one for four with an infield single that never left a grass, and he missed an easy pop-up in foul territory. And I'm like, it's me. I'm the problem here. Uh, well, that's... Yeah, so that was the peripheral information. Dave, you had more specific questions regarding the prospects that you wanted to ask? Yeah, so uh, let's dig into it. So first yeah. off, Chris, um, Rule 5 draft came and went. Um, Josh Ockamy, Austin Maddox, they are still Red Sox. Hooray. Mm -hmm. um, everyone else important. I think one of our minor leaguers got taken in the minor league draft, but yeah. who cares, really? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. The player that got picked was Tyler Hill. Uh, he was an outfielder that spent this past year in Salem. Um, honestly, I'm a little surprised. The minor league draft, basically, um, 
in a nutshell, so the, you've got the 40-man roster. I think most people understand the 40-man roster. There's also a 37-man AAA reserve list, which has to include any player who's in AAA that's not on the 40. And then there's other random guys on there. Like, I've seen that list. It's, it's actually kept confidential. Teams are pretty protective of it. But you'll have guys that are in, like, Lowell because of they want to protect them from the minor league rule five mm. draft. Um, it's a, it was a shade surprising to me that Hill wasn't on that list, but the Red Sox also had like 71. I think I counted guys that were eligible for rule five this year who weren't on the 40. So, wow. you know, you're going to have a certain number of guys who are decent that are eligible. Hill's a guy that like looks athletic as heck. Um, but it's a weird swing. He had like a great year in Lowell two years ago, and I could see some scout being like, Okay, if we bring him in and fix the swing and teach him to play better defense, he could be a guy. So, you know, I don't think it's a huge loss, but it, he's an interesting guy, and I get why a team would be interested in him. Okay, cool. I, I literally knew nothing about him. I just heard the name, and I'm like, well, I don't see anyone freaking out about it, so I guess, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So no point getting to know him because he's gone. So um, I want to talk about, uh, first off, Josh Akimi in particular. Josh Ockamy in particular, um, yeah. saw him a lot at Portland. I really like what he get, I what he can do. I get that he strikes out a lot. I know defensively he's uh, sort of a work in progress there, but I thought that he would have drawn some attention from other mm-hmm. teams. Apparently he didn't, which is awesome. Obviously he's not on the 40, but with Mitch Moreland and Steve Pierce uh, departing after 2019, do you think that with a good season at Pawtucket he could possibly compete for that? Uh, platoon first base role in 2020 not like a full-time starter but like a lefty special uh, maybe i mean so he's he's a left-handed hitter um gets killed by left-handed pitching or at least did this did i say year. lefty specialist yeah well yeah I'm not but righty yet. i knew yeah. what you meant he is a lefty he cannot hit them <laughs> yeah yeah, he just had a, he had a t- pretty bad year against left-handed pitching and you know he actually if you look at his numbers i mean he had a he had pretty good numbers in Portland this year. Um, if you look deeper, his last like three weeks in Portland weren't great. He got promoted to Pawtucket for um, 93 at-bats, you know, 27 games. Uh, was not good there, LPS around 700. And then he went to the Arizona Fall League and was uh, pretty brutal. Uh, he hit 172 with a 250 slugging and struck out 26 times in 18 games. Um so I think the Red Sox kind of gambled a little bit in not adding him to the 40. Um, I wasn't surprised they didn't add him to the 40 so much as they didn't add him to the 40, but did add some of the other guys they added. Like Denny Reyes was a pitcher who pitched six games in high A Salem this year, and they added him and not Occamy. So that's why I was just kind of like, whoa, interesting. Um, that said, platoon first basemen really aren't a Rule 5 archetype player. Um, you know, the Rule 5... Rule five drafted guys tend to be like, you know, pitchers who throw in the high nineties, but can't find the plate. And you might be able to get, you know, a few innings out of them in the bullpen and then send them back down to the minors like next year. Occamy just, you know, as a bad fielding first base only can't hit lefties type. It was just, it was, there were a lot of holes for a major league roster that said better to have him around. He'd have to get a lot better um, to really factor into the, he'd have to have a great season this year to factor into the, the 2020 plans. Um, and that's in part because the Red Sox, their depth right now is at the infield corners. 
Um, if you look at our rankings, the number one prospect is Chavis, who's who plays third base and first base, and they might try and get him some time at, and at second and in left field this year. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck is a third baseman who's a, a our number five ranked prospect, but like Alex Spear for Baseball America ranked him the top prospect in the system, and I get why. Um, again, with Raphael Devers at third base in Boston, that's three third basemen who are close to the majors. They can't all play third base. Might one or more of them move to first. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting thing. And then you look deeper down the system. Tristan Costas, is their first-round pick this year, third baseman, first base. Um, you know, there's a lot of third base, first base depth. Meanwhile, Sam Travis is still around. Um, mm. I think that ship has probably sailed. Uh, you know, when he came up near in September, I, I might be wrong in this, but I seem to remember that he played more left field when he came up than first base. Um, he did. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, they're pretty stacked there. So he would really have to break out this season uh, and, and do a lot better than he did, especially at the end of last year and in the Arizona Fall League. I think that's part of why they didn't protect him because I just don't. It's tough to see how he factors in at the major league level, given the depth at third and how that might push some of those guys over to first. All right. Yeah. 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 Ock- Ockney is kind of a fan favorite of mine just because. He, was, he sort of had anti chafis syndrome where every time I went, he was amazing. But when they didn't put him on the 40, I kind of looked at his overall numbers because at first I thought, what are you doing, Dombrowski? Yeah. But then I looked at it and I'm like, no, no, that makes sense. I, I can see it. I'm not yeah. happy about it, but I yeah, can see and, it. And the thing is, I mean, there's a lot of raw pop there. He works really hard. They like the, you know, he's a good cl- uh, clubhouse guy. Um, but it's just, you know, there's a lot of holes there that still need fixing. I could see, you know, even though he's going to be in AAA to start the year, I could see, I, I don't think it's a certain bet that he'll be like a September call-up, even if he has a good season, just because he's got so much to work on. So, so um, yeah, I mean, he it, it also could happen that he goes to Pawtucket, rakes, and puts himself on the map, and he's up because they need him in June. So, who knows? But, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's stuff there he needs to work on, and you hope he'll get better, but, you know, there's... It, there's a lot to happen there before he factors into the plans. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, let's talk uh, back on the rule five note. Um, the Red Sox actually made a few moves. Um, they got Angelo uh, Gomez and Andrew Schwab. I hope I'm pronouncing that right from the New York Yankees system. Um, now, obviously it's just rule five minor league stuff. So no- normally these guys don't profile as much, but Gomez in particular, I find pretty yeah. fascinating. Have you uh, taken a look into these guys at all? A, a little bit, and I actually kind of got in touch with um, the guys over at Pinstriped Prospects, which is kind of the Yan- Yankees prospect site that we have a little bit. I've been on their podcast um, to, to preview the ALDS this year, which is kind of fun. But uh, Gomez, he's interesting. He actually got picked in Major League Rule 5 last year by the Braves, um, and they returned him before the end of spring training. So that's kind of interesting to see a guy – picked in rule five that wasn't even on like the triple a reserve list the following year um the reason for that is he had shoulder surgery uh in may uh but the, he's kind of interesting he's got a three pitch mix according to them uh he you know mid 90s fastball um uh let's see he also has a pretty good slider um with pretty good command on it command is average on the fastball uh change up is the third pitch working on the secondary stuff, but shoulder injury is always an enormous red flag, right? So that's kind of where he's at. Wouldn't surprise me if he's still rehabbing at the beginning of the year. Um, Schwab side armor, um, which is kind of funny. Like 
injury guy and sidearm pitcher are like the minor league rule five draft version of like the major league version of, uh, of a guy who throws mid nineties to high nineties and like doesn't have control. Like those are the kind of guys that the Red Sox draft in, in minor league rule five. So um, Schwab was actually, he, it's kind of funny. He, he'd been in the Yankee system. They actually cut him in August last year and he signed with the Tigers for a hot minute. Um, he's kind of like a double A, high A type guy. The Yankees had actually demoted him from double A to high A before they cut him. And uh, when Detroit signed him, they sent him to double A Erie. So he'll probably be in either Portland or um, Salem. Probably more org depth than anything. But you never know. Um, but yeah, interesting. I mean, Gomez does type strike me as a little more interesting than, than the typical minor league rule five guy because... You know, as of a year ago, the Braves liked him enough to take him in Major League Rule 5. So that who knows what's there. Maybe he gets healthy and, and there's something. But um, with Minor League Rule 5 guys, you know, you don't really plan on them doing too much. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the same boat, except I did allow myself, and I know I'm get, setting myself up for disappointment. I did let myself fall in love a little bit with uh, Gomez. I uh, did some re- research on him. I went to pinstripe, uh, Pinstriped Prospects as well, uh, read up on a lot of what they wrote about. And everything you mentioned, the mid-90s fastball, uh, I saw one of them said that, you know, in shorter doses, he can approach uh, triple digits, which obviously you're excited about. He was a starter for uh, up until mid-2016. They put him into a into the bullpen, and at that time, he had never pitched above A-ball. He made it from low A all the way to triple A in one season, which just doesn't happen. That, that was absolutely amazing, and it reminds me a lot of what Travis Likens is doing, just like they've, they, they're different players, but just in terms of starter, didn't quite work out. You put him into the bullpen, the fastball plays up. The secondary stuff is good enough for the bullpen role. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, obviously you have to worry about a guy coming off sh- shoulder surgery, especially a pitcher. But I think if he rehabs better, I, if he rehabs well, I think there's definitely a home in the majors for a guy like that. Maybe I'm setting myself up for disappointment, uh, Schwab, meanwhile, I, I find him fascinating because, like you say, uh, the sidearm delivery, there's a big injury risk there. Um, but from 2015 to 2017, he had a 2.74 ERA and a 2.89 FIP, like through all his levels, which is really good numbers. 2018, he fell off a cliff a little bit, 5.37 ERA, 3.81 FIP. He walked 5.4 guys. Uh, batters per nine innings which you just can't have that but I was reading up on him also and apparently he said during 2018 he started working on developing his uh curve his uh curveball and his changeup a little bit more because before that he was normally a fastball sinker type of guy and I think as a reliever if he's going to make it anywhere he's just got to pretty much say I'm going to be a low ceil- I'm going to be a low ceiling two pitch guy who's maybe going to you know, have a cup of tea in the majors someday. So right, right. maybe he becomes something. More than likely, he doesn't. But right. you know, always interesting to get a few new faces in the mix. Yeah, it's always fun changing things up a little bit. But yeah, I mean, they're they're interesting. We'll see if anything happens with them. Yeah. So um, uh, speaking earlier, we were talking about uh, Jay Groom. You mentioned him in passing about how mm-hmm. hard he is to rank as a prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he hasn't pitched in forever. But according to reports, he's already uh, throwing, not very hard, but on his Instagram, he put out a video of him, like, physically releasing a ball from his hand, which made me pretty happy. So, uh, uh, 
according to the random speculations on the internet that I assume are based in fact, he'll be back in the he'll be back on the mound ideally by mid twenty nineteen. What are yeah. you expecting, or what are you hoping to see out of him when he returns? Uh, that he could stay healthy. I mean, and I, I don't mean to be flippant with that. Um, you know, I, I really no seriously. I, I'm not just being a wise guy. Um, it's too bad. It, you know, it's kind of funny that Instagram post you referred to. Um, he like said the number of days it had been since his injury. We apparently saw the outing in spring training where he got hurt and didn't realize it because he looked phenomenal. Um, we came away from that like easy number one prospect in the system. Like this guy's going to have a great year. He's only going to need like a month in Greenville and then he's going to go to Salem and he's going to kill it there too. Um, and then he just never pitched, uh, which was incredibly disappointing, but yeah, I, hopefully he's ready about mid season, you know, with Tommy John, it's different from pitcher to pitcher. Um, you know, some guys heal quicker than others. Uh, the the fact of the matter is he's rule five draft eligible in December of 2020. So like he's got to, you know, say he gets a half season next year. He's going to, if he's healthy for that and the following season, he'll basically have had one season as a professional in which he didn't get hurt and missed most of the year, which is kind of terrifying. Um, <laughs> because it's just, is it an injury prone thing? Because he got, he, he didn't, he only pitched six and two thirds innings, the year he got drafted in 2016. Um, in 2017, he only threw 55 innings. And last year he didn't throw, and this year he's only going to get half a season, best-case scenario, right? Um, so I just want to see health is what I want to see. Um, you know, we heard some rumblings that the team wasn't thrilled with his conditioning in 2017. So last offseason he had worked with Chris Sale in Fort Myers during the offseason, which is literally the best thing you could possibly hope for for a pitcher in the Red Sox farm system, right? Um, <laughs> so that's great. And then this happened to him. And, you know, maybe he used that time to continue working on the rest of the conditioning. He's a big boy. Um, you know, he's 6'6". Listed weight that we have, Matt, is 257. Uh, there's a frame there. You could look at him and see, okay, if he manages this, that's a 200-inning body, or 100, I guess in this day and age, 180-inning body, right? Um, if he doesn't manage it, he's like CC when CC's out of shape. You know, CC's back to back. So it's, but, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, he's not there at all. Don't get me wrong, but it's like. This is not the happy conversation I was hoping for. No, but, well, no, but that's what I'm saying. So, you know, he's had two off seasons now, hopefully, where he's managing that. He's learning. I mean, he's a, he's a high school kid. And keep in mind, too, man, like 2017, when he threw 55 innings, he got back, he got on the mound and was throwing as an 18 year old when his father, this is, I, I, I'm comfortable talking about this because it got widely reported. His father got arrested for like selling drugs. Um, the, if when I was 18, if my father got arrested for selling drugs, I wouldn't have been able to like function as a human being. Never mind yeah. go pitch low A baseball. Yeah. You know? Wow. So that's, wow. that speaks to mental, some mental toughness there. You know, that's something that I think for some reason no one remembers when they're talking about, you know, this guy with the complete package you're getting. So, you know, maybe working with Sale in the offseason and not going back home to New Jersey helped kind of with distractions. You know, who knows what he was dealing with back home. I just want to see him get healthy, get stay out on the mound uh, and be healthy when he comes back from Tommy John, have a healthy offseason, next offseason, and really – 
whatever happens this year is gravy. 2020 is going to be a huge year for him because, like I said, he's going to be Rule 5 eligible that following offseason. He needs to get a full pro season under his belt. Who knows what his innings limit's going to be, right? Because you don't want to have him ramp up from 40 innings to 160. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's the tough part about him is how do you ramp a guy like that up? Because they're going to have to add him to the 40 um, to protect him, one would think. So I just want to see him stay healthy. As far as stuff, I'll wait for 2020 for that. All right. Yeah, because I remember uh, when he, 2017, numbers-wise, was pretty ugly for him. I didn't get the chance to see him live because, you know, he never came up to my area. But, you know, I think his ERA was like, you know, in the fives, maybe something like that. 670. And, uh, was, I'm looking at it 670. right now. 670. <laughs> but the thing is, if you the, a big part of that was the start where he got hurt. I, he either came out in the first or second and gave up eight runs. And that alone is going to kill your ERA when you make 11 starts. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? yeah. Um, I didn't, know, it, about, I didn't yeah. know about that. But, yeah, like, I remember look, seeing the ugly numbers. And then, like, yeah. uh, spring training came around, and he was just, like, crushing people. Well, like, all the reports were saying, like, like, this guy is, like, you know, Pedro Martinez mixed mm-hmm. with Chris Sale mixed with Jesus. And Whoa. I was like, <laughs> I am ready for this. And then he goes and gets Tommy John. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in 2017, though, in Greenville, he struck out 58 guys and 44 and a third. So there was something there, right? And, you know, it was too many hits and too many walks, but, you know, you know, six home runs and 44 and a third. But, dude, an 18-year-old going to the South Atlantic League and striking out 58 guys in 44 and a third innings, I'm, I'm listening, you know, 11, 11.7K per nine. Uh, I'll, I'll pay attention to that. So yeah. there's, a, there's a huge upside there. It's just, again, you know, we're going to be coming off of three seasons with minimal reps, and that's something he's going to have to fight through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so here's here's hoping for the best for Jay Groom, just getting a healthy recovery and maybe 2020 again back on the track and, you know, really being all he can be. So speaking of guys that, you know, have all the athletic gifts in the world, but for whatever reason, just have a tough time putting it together, uh, Cole Brannon. Um, now, this guy really fascinates me as a prospect. Um, Major League Baseball has him ranked as the 19th best uh, prospect in our system. You guys over at SoxProspect.com have him ranked at 60th. Now, Brandon is an absolutely fantastic athlete in high school, and in theory, he has a fantastic hitting tool. His last year of uh, high school, he hit 439, uh, 756, 975 slash line. Um, he has a fantastic speed, great arm, great reflexes and center. But he can't hit to save his life now that he's in the pros. Um, he's only 20 years old, so there's plenty of time to turn it around. But uh, what are your hopes on Brandon? Do you think he uh, can turn it around? Or, is, or what happened where he just fell off such a cliff? Well, so um, be, so here's the thing with Brandon. So here's the second round pick in 2017. We, in, in our looks at him, so you know, Ian saw him in Lowell in 2017. Um, this year in Greenville, he went to Greenville and hit so poorly. He got demoted. Um, he was only in Greenville for 32 games. He hit 157, um, struck out 43 times. And I think I actually, I was in Greenville when he was there because my, this is random. My sister-in-law went to South Carolina upstate, which is in Spartanburg, which is like, sister cities with Greenville, like they're right next door to each other. Yeah. And her wedding was in May in Greenville this past year. 
And so I caught a drive game while we were in town. And basically what he was doing, which is exactly what he was doing the year before in Lowell, was just beating everything into the ground. Um, with Greenville, the 32 games he was there, he had a 69.1 ground ball rate, um, which is not oh nice. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, you have God. to try to do that. Like, if you yeah, it every time, you seriously, do that. Uh, that's, that's incredibly, it's, it's not, you know, nice. Um, but, and even when he got demoted to Lowell, um, we were, basically he got demoted to extended spring training and went to Lowell and 34 games there hit 173 with an even lower slugging percentage. Um, you know, the ground ball rate there was 52.6. Um, it was, it was not a good year for Cole Brandon. We've seen him in Lowell both years. I comment in Greenville. We saw him in spring training. We haven't liked what we've seen anytime we've seen him, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, not a great hit tool, little to no power. Um, average, it's only, we only have him as having an average arm, actually. Um, the speed is plus, but you know there were reports that he ran like a, I think like a 6260 at perfect game as a high schooler. Um, even when that happened, we talked to a, a national guy who writes for one of the, you know, top baseball national, um, websites. And he openly scoffed at that. He's like, yeah, you gotta be careful with the perfect game numbers. Um, that's garbage that that's like off the scale speed. That's like above 80 speed. And he does not have above 80 speed. Um, see, for example, the fact that you know, like, okay, in Lowell this year, he stole 12 bases and only got caught once. Um, and in Greenville this year, he stole nine bases and only got caught once. Um, you know, it's 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 plus speed. It's not double plus or anything like that. I, I, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if the Red Sox caught him at a, you know, a good time as an amateur, but we don't love what's there. We have him ranked in the top 60 still because... There is at least a little pedigree there. Someone liked him enough to take him in the second round of a draft and give him $1.3 million. Um, you know, Brian Moeller is the same scout who signed Michael Chavis. Um, so there's something there. But, um, you know, we'd have to see. He'd have to be a completely different player to get me back on the Brandon bandwagon, obviously. Um, you know, it, it's a hedge basically to keep him in the top 60 for us at this point. I think we're close to out on him. But, you know, we've seen guys turn it around. Uh, hopefully he can. Uh, but we don't really love what's there with Brandon. Yeah, that's um, from what I've read on him. And obviously you'd know better than I would. I've never seen him live. But that sort of seemed to be the assessment that I got to just from looking at his numbers. It looks like a guy who was really good against inferior competition but now that you know guys have some pretty decent talent around him he's not adjusting well to just not being naturally better than everyone else he can't really mm. bring his game up to match uh the heightened talent so that's a, it's a real shame that you know anything can happen maybe he finds what made him so good in high school but you know it looks like that's a waste of a pick and a waste of a uh oh. 1.3 million yeah, and I mean, to signing. be fair, one year out, I wouldn't necessarily call a pick a waste yet. Um, you know, things need to change for it not to be, I guess I, I would concede. But, you know, things can change very quickly with guys. So True, true. Um, and he's only you know, 20. He is know. only 20. He that, is. That, was, that was premature of me to say. 
Yeah, but it's uh, but I mean that's a, that uh, you you can't argue with the fact that that's the way it's trending um, mm-hmm. as a second round pick. So you know you hope he could turn it around. Um, and by the way, just for what it's worth on MLB Pipeline's rankings, they kind of update them during the year, but I don't think that they have done like full re ranks yet this off season. So. I would be surprised if he's still in the top 30 when they do that this offseason. I'm pretty sure he's not in BA's top 30 based on what Alex said in his chat. Um, so take that yeah, for what he, worth. Yeah, they uh, update those in January, I believe, is uh, yeah, when they're going to give right. a new. Yeah, so. All right. Um, Chris, do you have time for uh, one more? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. Got me in so, a good mood. <laughs> awesome. All right, so uh, last one for you here. It's about... Uh, Former first first round pick, one of the highest picks we've ever made. But oh God! Yeah, I think you know where I'm going with this yeah. one. Uh, Trey Trey Ball, old friend Trey Ball, the great yeah. pitcher that we got for having to deal with Bobby Valentine for a whole year. <laughs> Fair way to put it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, our, our reward. He's uh, he's not a pitcher anymore. He's an outfielder. No. Um, mm-hmm. I saw, saw him a few times at Portland as a reliever. He was terrible. Had a six something ERA and. Really, he was a lot worse than that one game I went to. Uh, Matt Kent started. He pitched five great innings, got into a bit of trouble in the sixth. Um, bases loaded on three really dinky singles. Trey Ball came in to get out of the jam first pitch. It's a grand slam. So that was the ve- that's a very Trey Ball experience for me. Um, they're trying him in the outfield now, which had he uh, been an outfield prospect as uh, when he was entering the draft, he still probably would have been a first-rounder from what I hear. Is there any hope this one works out? I mean, you never know. Um, the position switch has worked for guys in the past. Um, I'm sure that Rick, Rick Ankeel comes to mind. Uh, but, of course, that's kind of the exception to the rule. You know, I've seen it go the other way mostly with, like, usually it tends to be fail position players who then move to the bullpen, like your Sean Doolittles and Kenley Jansons of the world, right, are kind of the top success stories with that. Um yeah, Ball was a first-round prospect coming out of high school in Indiana in 2013, both as a pitcher and as an outfielder. By the end of that spring, it was pretty pretty much the consensus that he was more, uh, more highly thought of as a pitcher. Um, basically, what I think happened in that draft is the Red Sox really wanted Clint, Clint Frazier and thought he might still be there when they would pick and kind of got their pocket picked by the Indians um, when the Indians took him. Uh, so they, you know, Ball was at the top of their draft board, but I don't think they were going to, ha- I don't think they thought they were going to have to go to that spot on their draft board. Um, the thing that disappointed a lot of people is that a lot of people wanted them to take Austin Meadows there, who's turned into a pretty good off-field prospect. So, hey, uh, you know, I, I think it's tough to argue because I never saw any of these guys play high school baseball. Uh, so I'm not going to argue with the guys who did. Um, when you see Ball pitch, saw Ball pitch, perhaps, you see why they liked him in the first round. He's six six. He's athletic. The stuff oh, yeah. was decent. The fastball had life when I saw him uh, in Salem. Actually, um, he didn't really command it great, uh, but it had some life. It was low nineties pretty consistently up to ninety four. Uh, he added a slider that was pretty good, uh, or cutter. I guess he's kind of changed it, but like the curveball backed up the change up was supposed to be his best secondary coming out of high school that backed up the fastball command has backed up he just didn't progress is what happens you know you you pick a guy and you try and project him and he just didn't progress as a pitcher and that's kind of why coming up the ladder he didn't really 
excel. We actually, you know, the Red Sox put him in the outfield and extended spring training. It's kind of tough because they've even acknowledged, like, where do you put a guy who's going to be, he's going to turn 29 in June of this year, um, in June of 2019. I think it's technically his age 24 season, but he'll turn, 20, did I say 29? I meant 25. Um, he's going to turn 25 in 2019. That's where the nine came in. Where do you put him, right? Like, do you put him in Greenville where he's old, but it's also his first professional season as an outfielder? It'll be an interesting interesting experiment. Um, it's actually kind of funny because they he took BP, I guess, for a lot of this past season. Um, and then at the end of the Portland season, they DH'd him the final two games and had him hit ninth. And I think in one of those two games, he had like the game-winning double. He did, or, yeah. Or something crazy, um, which... You know, one of my favorite things to talk about with people when you're just kicking back and throwing a few drinks is that, like, Michael Jordan hitting 200 for the Birmingham Barons is, like, the greatest athletic achievement of all time, given that he hadn't played baseball in years, right? Like, you just threw a random guy into double A and he hit 200 and, like, wasn't a joke. Um, you know, it, that's a hell of an athletic achievement, right? Whereas, you know, Ball, I think he, like, struck out in, like, almost every other plate appearance, those two games he DH'd, which makes sense because he hadn't hit in years. Um, who knows what they do with him? I think they probably start him in extended spring training and try to send him to Greenville. It'll be a heck of an experiment, and I'm really interested to see what happens with it. I'm not holding out much hope because it's just hitting a baseball is hard when you haven't taken, what is it, five years off? Yeah, um, five from hitting. Years. So... I'm not holding out much hope that there's much there. Look, I mean, if you look, that that 2013 draft was not a good draft, frankly. Um, you know, I think that's, you know, that was Chris Bryant's draft, I think. But if you look at the top of the first round there, you you know, the number one pick was Mark Appel, who has retired from baseball without really, without pitching in the majors. Uh, Bryant was number two. John Gray was number three. Number four pick was Cole Stewart who I think finally made his major league debut last year and is not really a superb prospect. Number six pick was Colin Moran ahead of Trey Ball, who hasn't really turned out to be much. Number eight pick was Hunter Dozier. The number 10 pick was Philip Bickford. The number 12 pick was DJ Peterson. If you don't know who these guys are, that's fine. You shouldn't. Um, (laughs) You know, so it's kind of... There were other guys in that draft, like J.P. Crawford. Like Tim Anderson is probably one of the best picks from that draft. Um, but there's not much in that draft, man. It was just not a great draft. Aaron Judge actually was number number 32 pick. So literally every team could have, I think, could have drafted him and didn't. Um, although that was under the old draft rules, where you know the first round was 27 picks and then there were six compensatory picks. So maybe not every team, but certainly most teams passed on him. It was not a very good draft. Not a great year to have the number seven pick, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. At least we can say the Red Sox did better the next time they had the number seven picked and getting Andrew Benintendi. Um, but yeah, I'm not holding out much hope on, on Ball being much. I think that 2013 draft is a lost one for the Red Sox. Um, the only players they drafted in that draft who've played in the majors are Kyle Martin, who only got a cup of coffee and spent last year in Korea. And Carlos Asuaje, who was traded to the Padres in the Kimbrel deal and actually just got designated for assignment. Um, and I think got claimed by Texas, although I might be wrong about that. Um, yeah, not really a lot to like on that draft for the Red Sox point of view. But, um, 
you know, every now and then you're going to have a bad one, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess you could say Mauricio Dubon is a guy who still shows a little bit of promise and just hasn't made it up to the majors yet. But uh, I, yeah, I hey, at least that draft on like, at least the leftover they, laundry from Valentine. Like that's all Bobby. <laughs> like we're it, still. You, it kinda, takes a while to wash off that stench. Right. It's kind of funny because right now the most successful professional athlete from that draft that the Red Sox drafted and signed is probably Jeff Driscoll, who <laughs> is, oh my the God, really? Bengals, is the Cincinnati yeah. Bengals starting quarterback <laughs> right now. Um, yeah, he was at the University of Florida at that point, was not playing baseball, and they drafted him in the 29th round and were like, hey, we'll give you some money to like have your baseball rights in case football doesn't work out for you and you want to try baseball. And from his point of view, he was like, sure, why the heck not? Like, why wouldn't you do that, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, but he wound up like transferring to what Louisiana Tech or something and kicking around the NFL for a few years as like a third-string quarterback. And Andy Dalton got hurt, and now he's starting for the Bengals. So, wow. interestingly enough, the Bengals play-by-play guy, at least for the radio, is Dan Horde, who used to be the Pawtucket Red Sox play-by-play guy. No way! It all so, comes back full circle. It yeah. really does. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, th- that draft was a little bit weird, because they, like, they drafted him. I think they drafted like a couple other football guys that year. It was really weird. Yeah, well... Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much, Chris. I had no idea that the Red Sox drafted Jeff Driscoll. So yeah, and that, signed that nice... him is the weird part. <laughs> and they like, signed him. Yeah, yeah. Like you'll see, There's... like the, the Red Sox drafted, and actually, you know, like Shaq Thompson, who's with the Panthers, I think. Like, yeah, linebacker. You know, linebacker. Yeah, the Red Sox drafted and signed him, and he actually went into the Gulf Coast League for one season, in which he had like one of the worst. I'm rambling at this point, but this is fun. Like, if you look at his numbers, he was, like, one of the worst minor league baseball players ever. He, If he had 50 at-bats, I think he struck out in 43 of them. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. Glad, he, like, good thing he chose football. Yeah, and meanwhile, he, like, went to went to Washington, was, like, an All-American, and now he's in the NFL. So, there you go. Wow. wow. Well, yeah, Chris. Thank you so much for coming on the show. No worries. Um, this has been this has been very informative. Uh, w- would you mind telling us your Twitter handle so people oh, can follow I, you if they if you could divulge that information? Yeah, I would. The opposite of mind. Um, so you, <laughs> the, the, yeah, so you can follow me at sp chris hatfield, uh, and you can follow the site's Twitter account at Sox Prospects. Um, yeah, uh, you know, make sure you catch us there. And again, like the website is SoxProspects.com. Obviously, we got. Our news page, we've got our scouting reports. We have right now have our off-season depth chart, which is a handy little resource. We've got things like Rule 5 eligible player lists, which people tend to like. Um, we've got our 2019 projected rosters, which could be a little bit like throwing darts at a dartboard sometimes with some guys, but we tend to think we do pretty well with those. Um, you know, a lot of neat stuff on there. And um, like I said, we've got our own podcast, which you can, you know, probably get wherever you're listening to this one although i guess you guys do soundcloud so not soundcloud but um, <laughs> we're on you know apple Podcasts, stitcher google play music which i don't think we've ever had a single download on there but we're on there um i guess no one knows that google play has well no one uses google play music. That's I, I didn't know start i'll be your uh, i didn't know that google I'll play was first. a thing <laughs> i didn't know it was yeah i didn't know that podcast but right yeah so, we, we're on stitcher now too Actually, I keep forgetting. So, or not Stitcher, yeah. uh, Spotify. Spotify, we just got added to. So, 
Oh, nice. that's big time right there. Spotify. Not yeah, not, not bad, not bad. And as as the owner of a Red Sox site, I'm happy to admit that you have the best Red Sox site on the Internet by far. Oh, so. thanks. I don't know. We, we, we try hard. <laughs> it's it's a great community of, of websites, honestly. You know, I don't think people realize not a lot of teams have the kind of community of, like, Internet sites that aren't just, like, the newspaper or the SB Nation site. Um that like uh, you know other teams just have like the SB Nation site and be reporters, whereas you know there's a, there's a lot of resources out there for Red Sox fans, so we're kind of lucky. Um, and then the, you know the team was pretty good this year too. So yeah, yeah. they they won 108 games. They're they're pretty good. They they're did. decent. They're in a World yeah. Series while they were at it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Took five games. Though, so I yeah. mean, how good was it really? <laughs> exactly. My thoughts exactly. But yeah, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. No problem, um, guys. It was a great show. Yeah. Thanks, man. Take care, guys. Take care. See you, Chris. Well, I want to thank Chris Halffield again for that awesome interview. Uh, He gave us a wealth of just incredible prospect information. And during the offseason when there hasn't been much, it was was a breath of fresh air to get, you know, get as in-depth as he did. Dave asked some awesome questions. There was some good banter, and and I hope you guys enjoyed that. That's our second week in a row when we had reputable, uh, writers and slash editors slash people in the Red Sox blog sphere named Chris on the show. So we have a little bit of a streak going, not to brag. But yeah, thanks Chris again for coming on. You you were immensely insightful and it was it was awesome. But yeah guys if if you would you can listen to this show on a variety of platforms. Um, we're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes. If you would like to leave us a nice review on iTunes, you totally can do that. And it would make me have more happy than Steve Pierce winning the 2018 MVP, uh, World Series MVP, and JBJ staying with Boston for life. So definitely do that. Um, if our affiliate, The Grueling Truth, posts this uh, podcast on their many platforms, you can see this on or listen to this on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, among other platforms. So we're, we're, we're basically a lot of places. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Filtered. We have great Twitter updates. And as always, check out the site, redsockfilter.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll be back with episode 34 next week. Bye, guys. Hey, listen. We really need to just do, like, a blooper reel. I'm going like, to create just a blooper like- set. <laughs> All right. Okay. Wait. Well, hold uh, on. What did you say, Chris? You sound like the Chris we know and love. Sound the same. I don't know about love, but I appreciate you, Chris. But I'm not <laughs> sure if I'm ready to love again. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Wait. Whoa. whoa hold up. What, what episode are we on? Are we on the thirty-third? Ah, shit. Every every time. I never know. We're on thirty-third. Yeah. I just googled. Yeah. We're yeah. Yeah. Cool. Episode. Uh, yeah, 20, 32 is Christopher Smith. So. Yeah, so we're on the 33rd episode. Okay.